I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Welcome. To Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you are listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 127. I am your very tired host, Nicholas Eaton Clark, and if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse today, I do beg your pardon. My favourite band's new album, The Last Hero, dropped on Friday, and since the only place I can really listen to music is running in the forest, I've spent a large chunk of the last three days running in the forest. But it was worth it. The album rocks. Anyhow, we'll begin today with a quirky bit of flash fiction by Oliver Buckram, PhD, titled The Chuchumorphosis. Oliver lives in the Boston area where, under an assumed name, he teaches social science to undergraduates. His work has appeared in Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Interzone and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, amongst others. His stories, When Robot Mermaids Attack and Darkening Skies, were featured in Triple F episodes number 48 and 93. And now, The Chuchumorphosis, presented with all due respect to Franz Kafka. As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed into Neville, the crime-fighting locomotive. Neville was a funny little blue engine with six small wheels and a stumpy smokestack. He lived in the big station with the other steam engines of the Happyville Railroad and spent his days cheerfully bustling up and down the railroad tracks, solving crimes and getting into mischief. I wonder what mischief I shall get into today, thought Neville curiously. Just then, his two anthropomorphic animal friends, Ringo the Dingo and Felicia the sexually suggestive ferret, came bounding into the big station. G'day, mate! exclaimed Ringo in a broad Australian accent, smiling broadly and displaying his Vegemite-stained teeth. I wonder what sort of mischief you'll get into today, you silly little bugger! (laughs) You're always welcome to get into my mischief, Neville, giggled Felicia suggestively. Neville, 
being a cheerful blue engine, lacked the necessary anatomy to get into Felicia's mischief, an obvious fact that nevertheless eluded the participants of this particular discussion. I shan't get into anyone's mischief, declared Neville. Today I feel like fighting crime. Fortunately, the preponderance of criminal activity in Happyville occurred in the immediate vicinity of the railroad tracks, allowing Neville to examine clues and, on occasion, merrily smash into the perpetrators at high velocity. Oi! ejaculated Ringo. In that case, I know just the thing. There's a horde of zombies shambling straight towards Happyville. Perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier. They're coming right down the tracks. Choo-choo! whistled Neville. That was his funny little way of telling his friends to climb aboard and assist him in killing the horde of zombies that was shambling straight towards Happyville. Neville went chugging down the tracks at top speed while Felicia suggestively straddled his stumpy smokestack and Ringo shoveled coal as fast as a wild dog that is found mainly in Australia could shovel coal. I think I can kill zombies, I think I can kill zombies, chortled Neville as he bloodthirstily anticipated plowing through the rotting flesh of the undead with devastatingly gruesome effect. You see, he was keen to prevent the horrid zombies from reaching Happyville and tearing the good little boys and girls limb from limb and eating their brains. But as Neville cheerfully went puff-puff toot-toot down the tracks, what he failed to realize was that his funny little friend Ringo had made a funny little mistake. The grotesque, shuffling figures congregating on the tracks were in fact not zombies, but rather extras from a zombie movie that was being filmed nearby. Yes, in a tragic yet wacky case of mistaken identity, Neville was about to cause the most horrifically awful train accident in the Happyville Railroad's long, blood-drenched history of horrifically awful train accidents. The only silver lining in this whole frightful situation was that the extras were already in full zombie makeup, so that killing them would not greatly change their appearance. Fortunately, seconds before this dreadful tragedy transpired, Gregor Samsa awoke in his bed and realized it was all a dream. He further realized that during the night he'd transformed into a gigantic insect, and he lived happily ever after in the Prague Institute of Entomology. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If that's not existential dread in a nutshell, I don't know what is. Poor Gregor Samsa just can't catch a break. The story was read for us by Jeffrey Welchman, who writes, produces and voices the reigning lunatic podcast, a medieval sitcom, and is a 2016 Parsec Awards finalist for Best Speculative Fiction Comedy Parody Podcast. He lives in Baltimore, in Maryland. And on to our feature story for the week, which is The Mermaid's Purse by Lynn Hardecker. Lynn is a Canadian writer and artist currently living in Regensburg in Germany just around the corner from me. Her writing has appeared in such journals as Goblin Fruit, Mythic Delirium and Not One of Us. She's in the final editing phase of her YA fantasy novel set in 18th century London. And now, The Mermaid's Purse by Lynn Hardiker. Look, Mummy, I found another one. The girl came running over. Claire watched her daughter with quiet detachment. Combing the beach for shells and feathers and mermaid's purses was one of Lily's favorite things to do. Her polka-dotted rubber boots made her steps awkward, but she didn't seem to notice. With a look of triumph, she dropped the mermaid's purse into Claire's lap, then pirouetted away, her long red hair catching the sea wind as she ran back to the shore. Without taking her eyes off the girl, Claire picked up the purse, feeling the smooth black casing under her fingertips. Once, in a moment of doing what she thought a mother ought to do, she had told Lily that they were actually cases for the eggs of skates or sharks. Lily refused to believe it. Claire looked at the one she had now, alien and beetle-like. She squeezed it gently, empty. Mummy, Lily had reappeared suddenly. I think there's one out there. She pointed to the silver-gilded waves. One what? A mermaid. Claire shielded her eyes with a hand and took a look. Where? She wished she was better at this sort of thing. Wished she was better at the whole being a mother thing. She didn't see any sea creatures. All she saw was the hard line of the horizon, splitting the world in two. There, Mummy, see it? Claire stood up, wiping her pants. Time to get you home. Lily frowned. I don't want to go home, she said with the determination of a child. I want to go with you. Can't. You know that. Claire bit her cheek against the question she knew was coming. Mummy, when can I live with you again? She thought of the possible answer she could give. When I can finally go back to school and get a job that can properly support us. When my social worker gives me the go-ahead. When I learn how to be a proper mother 
and stop wishing I was dead half the time. She said nothing, just felt another layer of hardness grow over her. She licked sea salt from her lips. I thought you liked it with Aunt Vicky. I do, but it's different. I hear she's going to get you a puppy. A puppy? No, a kitten. She rolled her eyes at Claire's grown-up forgetfulness. I get to pick it out, too. I want a white one, with green eyes. Thoughts of the kitten seemed to have distracted her for now. Sounds good. Go get your pail. Claire looked out to the sea, an unfathomable watery emptiness. Lily fetched her pail and ran back. Claire moved to put the mermaid's purse in it. No, mummy, you keep it. It's for you. Claire ignored the sudden tightening in her throat and nodded. She tucked the mermaid's purse into the pocket of her jeans. Come on, she said more sharply than she meant to. Side by side, they walked away from the roaring sea. Claire suppressed the urge to turn round for one more look. She knew there was no point. She couldn't even pretend for Lily's sake to have seen it. Claire gripped the sides of the tub and let the weight of her body pull her down into the water. The heat sent pinpricks running up her legs and torso. Pressing her back against the still cool porcelain, she closed her eyes. On the other side of the locked door, she heard him walking around in the bedroom. It was always this way. When they were done, she'd have a bath while he got himself dressed. She would stay in until the water had gone cold, and she was numb, and he was gone. Today, though, something was subtly different. The water covered her up to her ears, but she didn't feel calmed by it. Her insides were taut. Her hands still clamped the tub. She waited and heard him walk to the door. Claire? He'd never done that before. After a few seconds of holding her breath, she heard him knock gently. She ignored it and slipped under the water. It stung her cheeks, her lips, her eyelids, but she quickly got used to it. After a few seconds, she opened her eyes and looked up through the water at the ceiling. Thin tongues of paint scrolled away from it, and dark spots of mold gathered in the corners. How easy it would be, she thought, to confuse the elements. To pretend. To start breathing the water as though it were her element, and what lay above her, past the liquid membrane surrounding her, was the foreign one. Slowly the peels of paint lengthened, stretched down and swayed like sea plants. The light dimmed. She no longer knew up or down, left or right. A forceful, deep peace flooded through her. She almost felt content. A claw of pain tugged at her chest. She rose violently from the tub, displacing water on all sides. She coughed and retched, standing in the claw-footed tub like a consumptive Venus. Blood pounded in her ears like waves, and she quickly came back to herself. She stared at the door and listened carefully while her breathing returned to normal. There were no sounds from the other side, and she knew that he was gone, that he had given up calling at the door. 
that he would have let himself out like he did each time, leaving a neatly folded bill tucked under the lamp on the night table. A full moon hung over the sea. Claire felt herself being drawn toward it, a tidal pull. She buttoned her coat against the night. The tang of salt on the wind was strong as she walked down to the beach. There were other people out, couples, groups of teenagers, a man walking his dog. But all human sounds were drowned out by the never-quiet sea. Further along, Claire knew of a secluded place where she could sit on the Flint Pebble Beach, away from the other people and the lamps lighting the boardwalk, not far from where she and Lily had spent the other afternoon. Sitting with her knees bent and her arms folded on top of them, she stared out. Shavings of moonlight landed on the rising waves, then vanished as each peak settled back into the greater body of the sea. The horizon was gone. Silver-threaded clouds mirrored the silver-threaded waves. She couldn't tell where one began and the other ended. The moon seemed fuller than full, a heavy, precarious mass, ready to drop into the infinite sea. Something dug into her hip, the mermaid's purse. She had forgotten it in her pocket. She took it out. It lay in her hand, as black as a piece of night sea. Pinching it between her thumb and index finger, she held it out, eclipsing the moon. After a minute, she became aware that she was shaking. The mermaid's purse jiggled up and down, spilling moon silver. When she realized that she was crying, she lowered her arm. She sat until the tears slowed. As they stopped, she became aware of another presence. A few yards from her, where the water caressed the flint pebble smooth, sat a creature. Its lower body reclined, its hands pressed against the shore holding itself up. Claire felt a shock of wonder just before fear set in. Not fear of the creature, fear that her mind was finally making her see the things which weren't there. The moon's light silhouetted the body. She couldn't determine its sex. It had a grace which seemed strangely halted by something, by being out of its element, Claire realized. It stared at her, the eyes large and alien. She felt herself being drawn to them. This was no hallucination. She slipped the mermaid's purse back into her pocket and started to move toward the creature. She didn't stand up, afraid she might frighten it off. Instead, she crawled slowly toward it. She stopped and sat just a few feet away from the creature. Now that they were closer, she could better make out its features. It was male, she thought though there was such a graceful, lithe beauty to it that she wasn't sure again. She finally managed to look away from its eyes. Long hair hung down, glossy black, across strong shoulders and arms, down its slim torso. At first she thought the bottom half was a tail, like a seal's only elongated, but when she looked more closely she noticed that the dark green-black limb was actually made of more than one part, for an instant, she thought they were legs, but as it shifted itself, she saw that there were more than two. 
four, perhaps five, long, tapering, muscular limbs. The creature reached its hand to her face. She suppressed a swell of fear. Its fingertips moved from her eye to her chin, again and again, tracing the salt trails made by her tears. She found herself staring back into those depthless black eyes, and she wanted desperately to communicate with it. Can you talk? she asked. But each word came out as a clumsy, shapeless thing in the presence of this creature of fluid grace. It held its hand out to her, for her to take. Her stomach nodded, but not with fear. It took her only a few seconds to decide to place her hand in its. It wove its long, cool fingers through hers. Something stirred in her belly. She closed her eyes. When she opened them again, she and the creature were in the water, a few yards from the shore. A shudder of panic passed through her as she wrapped her other arm around the creature's shoulder. She had no recollection of getting into the water, or of taking off her coat, or her clothes, all of which were lying in a black heap on the beach. Though she was aware of the water's cold, she didn't actually feel it. It was as though she were shielded from it. They hovered together, heads above the water. She looked down and saw the white of her legs kicking to keep her afloat. She could just make out the five dark tentacle-like limbs of the creature undulating gently in the water. Occasionally one would brush against her leg and a dizzying warmth would spread through her. A large wave surprised her with its strength and suddenness. She let go of the creature and in that instant everything changed. Blackness and cold swept over her. She was pulled under the freezing water. Panic rose in her chest as water forced itself into her nose and mouth. Something clasped her around the waist, and she no longer felt the cold of the sea. She opened her eyes. The creature had her, but not at the surface of the water, far, far beneath it. A giddy awareness filled her. She was breathing breathing the sea. She looked up. Moonlight fell like coins through the black water, thousands upon thousands of unwished wishes. Her companion was watching her, carefully, deeply. Once again, she had to fight the urge to use words with it. The creature's black hair was suspended in the water around it like an inky corona. She was exquisitely aware of the feel of its hand on her naked waist, of the occasional brushing of one of its limbs against her legs. Its fingers touched her face again. She leaned closer, an irresistible pull. The creature's beauty was almost heartbreaking. Unbidden, a memory darted up from some dark, protected corner. The memory of seeing her daughter a moment or two after her birth that same reaction to a beauty and a wonder almost too big to take in. The memory was quickly driven away when she saw the others, many others, watching them with those same sea-black eyes and midnight green skin. Black hair floated loosely in the water. She noticed that most of them wore it decorated with tiny silvery beads, which cast a dim glow in the water around them.
The beautiful ghostly figures hovered in the water around them, some below, some above, as though waiting. Then the water filled with a thrumming, which she could perceive on the very edge of her hearing, as though they were communicating amongst themselves. She looked back at the one holding her. Its arm was still protectively around her waist. She wasn't sure what she read in its eyes. With a swift movement, one of the others swam through the crowd to within a couple of feet of them. It was even more impressive, more majestic, more alien than any of the others. Its long black hair, which floated around its head, was threaded through with even more of the beautiful glowing beads than any of the others. They cast a brittle light over its features. Although none of the creatures seemed in any way touched by age, this one had a commanding air of maturity. By comparison, hers almost seemed to possess the awkwardness of youth. Claire felt the arm around her tighten. There was some sort of unspoken exchange between the two. The new one looked at Claire, a deep and searching look. It held out its hand to her. Claire felt a strong compulsion to go to it, a lunar pull from those eyes, black as inverse moons. She found herself trying to swim toward it, but the grip of the other one tightened even more around her waist. It grabbed her hand and again wove its long fingers through hers. With a look she couldn't decipher, the other creature swam away, its five tentacled limbs billowing out, then contracting together quickly and strongly, its glow dimming as it went. The strangeness of the encounter left Claire trembling, but she took an odd comfort from the creature she was with. With a fluent movement of its limbs, it propelled them away from the others. They sped through the water, the creature separating then pulling together its limbs rhythmically. Claire held on as tightly as she could. It took them to a place where the sea plants reached up and swayed in the grasp of unseen currents. It was beautiful there. Moonlight alighted on the edges of the plants, and night fishes darted out and in and out again in small groups. One group brushed against Claire's feet, tickling her. She almost laughed. Then she thought again of Lily, and how much she loved being tickled, and how much she loved the sea, and how much Claire wanted to tell her she was right. The creatures she called mermaids were real. Slowly the creature's face came close to hers. Its free hand came up and traced the invisible lines of the tears she had forgotten. She smiled. It tipped its head slightly to one side. The fingers were so delicate on her cheek, sending pleasant tremors through her. She couldn't remember feeling so alive. Her eyes started to close. There came a movement from behind the creature. At first she couldn't make out what it was, but as something emerged from the thick weeds, she saw it was another creature. It was with a man, fully clothed, dressed for a day of hiking along the sea coast. The creature had its arm around the man's waist. Claire saw that his eyes were closed, that he didn't seem to be conscious. There was a fresh wound on his forehead, leaking a bloom of pink into the water. The wound was rough, like he'd hit his head on jagged sea rocks. 
She watched with macabre fascination as the other creature raised its hand to the man's face. Nimbly, it reached long fingers toward his mouth. The man moved, his body tensed, and his eyes opened. He tried to fight, but was far too weak. Death was too near. The creature waited until he quieted down, until his eyes closed. It brought its fingers to his mouth again and wormed them inside. They came out holding something, something small which gave off a pure silver light. The creature let go of the now lifeless body, which bobbed away on the water's currents. With deft fingers, the creature knotted the tiny bead of silver into a strand of hair, where it shone with a dim light, along with the few others already there. Claire's growing understanding flushed all the warmth from her body. Was that what they wanted? Was that what the beautiful creature with its arm around her waist was after? She had heard stories as a girl. And though she wasn't a half-drowned hiker who'd fallen off a cliff or a sailor out of a boat, she had been sitting at the edge of the sea contemplating an end, contemplating a black nothingness like the one she'd been building around herself for years. She looked into the eyes of her creature. There was nothing malicious there, nothing evil. It was just a being doing what its nature meant for it to do. It looked at her with its undecipherable stare. She looked closely. Not a single silver bead in its hair. Dim lights misted toward them through the gloomy darkness. Three of the other creatures approached. Claire's stomach clenched as she saw the one who had tried to coax her away. She thought of Lily. Thought wryly how unlike her mermaids these were. Felt the dumb irony of everything ending here like this. They swam closer. Even if she could get away from the one whose strong grip around her waist had saved her life until now, she would never be able to outswim them. They would take her and steal the tiny silver bead that had been her to wear as a bauble in their hair. She felt sick at the thought. She knew she had no chance, but a deep instinct kicked at her. Turning to her creature, she put her hand on its cheek, feeling its perfect smoothness. She stared into those dark, liquid eyes. There was no anger toward it. She leaned in and kissed it on the mouth. Warmth filled her chest. It released its hold of her waist and raised its hand to her face, to her cheeks. They traced the long, vanished tears. She bent her legs slowly, put her hands on the creature's shoulders. She felt almost badly about the deception. As soon as it took its hands off her cheeks, she pulled her mouth away from its. With a powerful kick, she pushed herself away from it, thrusting herself upward through the water. The shock of its true coldness slammed into her, but she had to ignore it. Up, up she swam while the creatures watched, immobile. In a heartbeat, they started after her. Now that she wasn't touching hers, she couldn't breathe under the water. She could feel her chest tighten with the pressure of the water against it, trying to squeeze her lungs empty. The creature with the many silver beads in its hair 
rose through the water and swam alongside Claire. She was forced to stare into its eyes. They were unbearably beautiful, eyes she wanted to dive into, to explore, to drown in. The creature held out a hand to her. Claire's lungs were starting to burn. She knew that she'd need to reach the surface soon, or her body would force her to take in a lungful of water. Touching the creature's skin would prevent that, and she did want to touch it, touch its perfect beauty, its glossy midnight skin, mesh her fingers into its dream black hair, hair illuminated by the countless softly glowing beads netted in it, countless souls caught up like fish in a net. Claire reached toward the creature. It brought its hand closer to hers. In the second before their fingers would have touched, Claire grasped at the creature's hair and tore at as many of the beads as she could with her clumsy underwater hands. The silver beads floated on the water, still ensnared by the hairs they were woven into, but no longer attached to the creature. Rather than attack her as she had expected, the creature grasped for the glowing beads. Claire knew she hardly had any time left underwater, but she was compelled to free more. She filled each hand and tore as many bead-woven hairs from the creature's scalp as she could. As they drifted off on the underwater currents, the creature weakened visibly. It looked as though its true age were showing itself. It tried desperately to catch them, but the beads drifted away, and as they did, they glowed bright and strong one last time, then vanished. The other creatures around Claire watched the scene, but didn't come near to her. They closed around the one she had attacked in what seemed a protective circle. Claire's vision started to go black. She was exhausted and at the point of giving up. She felt a hand at her waist. At once, the tightness in her chest loosened, and she was no longer fighting against the water. She could breathe once again, but she felt no relief at this. Her creature had her, and she was too tired to care what happened. She closed her eyes. Frigid sea wind lashed her face and hair. She took a deep, painful breath, coughed and retched. She had no idea where she was. She felt drunk dizzy for a moment and looked around until she knew. Her head was above the water, and the shore was just yards away. The creature had brought her back. She tread water, staring at it. It stared back. There was almost an expression she could read on his face, but she wasn't sure. She knew that there was still the danger of being drawn in by those eyes again. Before she let that happen, she turned away from it. Quickly, she swam the few yards back to shore. She walked out of the sea, back to her element, naked and cold, exhausted and aching all over. She put on her clothes, her coat, and her shoes. She turned around for one last look out to the sea. Most of the shapes on the restless water were just waves, but one was not. She looked at it for a few long seconds before turning and walking away. Her hand slid into the pockets of her jeans, and she felt the mermaid's purse. 
She cupped it in her hand as she hurried home. Thank you for that lovely story, Lynn. And thank you also to Summer Brooks for the great read. Summer is a bit of a television addict and enjoys putting her sci-fi media geek skills to good use in interviewing guests for such podcasts as Slice of Sci-Fi, The Babylon Podcast and Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas. She is an avid reader and writer of science fiction, fantasy and thrillers with a handful of publishing credits to her name. Next on her agenda is writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Currently, Summer designs and maintains websites for Slice of Sci-Fi and assorted clients, and also provides story narration for Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa and Escape Pod, amongst others. For more about the authors and narrators featured in this episode, you can visit the links listed in our show notes. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. Please consider visiting our Patreon page and making a donation. My thanks, as always, go to my editor, Gary Dowell, and sound engineer, Mark Zanfardino, without whom this podcast wouldn't get off the ground each week. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. And what does that mean exactly? It means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. And all other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will awaken one morning from uneasy dreams to find themselves transformed into a gigantic insect. I'm off to go and make myself some more ginger and honey tea to try and assuage the rawness of my throat. You'd think this was just from running. It's not really. It's from the cold air and the singing. Oh, all the singing. The whole forest now knows that album from back to front. And a good thing it is, too. I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.